Chapter forty two of Sixty Years in Southern California, eighteen fifty three to nineteen thirteen by Harris Newmark. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by K. Hand. Chapter forty two The San Francisco Earthquake, nineteen o six to nineteen ten. On January first, nineteen o six, after more than half a century of commercial activity, with some things well done and some poorly enough, during which it has never been my ambition to better myself at the expense of others, I retired from business to enjoy the moderate but sufficient affluence which years of varying fortune had bestowed upon me. Rather early in the morning of April 18th, news was received here of the awful calamity that had befallen San Francisco, and with lightning rapidity the report spread throughout the city. Newspaper and telegraph offices were besieged for particulars as to the earthquake, which, strange to say, while it also affected even San Diego, was scarcely felt here, and within a couple of hours more than a thousand telegrams were filed at one office alone, although not a single message was despatched. Thousands of agitated tourists and even residents hastened to the railroad stations, fearing further seismic disturbance and danger, and bent on leaving the coast and soon the stations and trains were so congested that little or nothing could be done with the panic-stricken crowds. Meanwhile, more and more details of the widespread disaster poured in, and Los Angeles began to comprehend how paralyzing to her sister cities must have been the wreck and ruin following first the shaking of the earth, and then the much more serious fires and explosions. Soon, too, refugees from the north commenced flocking into our city, and these thousands, none with complete and few with decent attire, each pleading pathetically for assistance, told the sad tale much more frankly than could the noisy newsboy, with his flaring headlines and shrill intermittent extra. Long before much information was secured as to just what had happened, public-spirited men and women, some under the banners of regular organizations, some acting independently, moved energetically to afford relief. The newspapers led off with large subscriptions, while the Chamber of Commerce, Board of Trade, and the Merchant and Manufacturers Association swelled the amount. Eventually some $250,000 was raised. At the same time, and within two or three hours after the terrifying news had first been received, the directors of the Chamber of Commerce met and appointed various committees headed by Francis Quarles Story, a patriotic and indomitable citizen who arrived in 1883 and having the valuable cooperation of frank wiggins who served as secretary they went actively to work to render the most practical assistance possible a supply committee of which m h newmark was chairman by five o'clock the same afternoon had assembled fourteen carloads of goods partly donated and partly sold to the committee at cost to go by rail and nine carloads to go from san pedro by water this train full of necessaries was the first relief of its kind that reached san francisco other shipments of supplies followed daily, and with the first relief train went a corps of surgeons, under the chairmanship of Dr. L. M. Powers, health officer, who established a hospital in the Jefferson Square building, treating 2,000 patients in less than three weeks. Among the chairmen of the several committees were J. O. Kepfley, J. Baruch, R. W. Burnham, Niles Pease, Perry Widener, John E. Coffin, J. J. Fogarty, W. L. Vale, D. C. McGarvin, w a hamill f edward gray mrs r m whitney and d j desmond while h b gurley long identified with frank wiggins in chamber of commerce work was assistant secretary in this way was our sister city laid low but only as it were for a moment 
while the flames were yet consuming the old san francisco her children were courageously planning the new and supported by that well-nigh superhuman spirit which community misfortune never fails to inspire the spirit that transforms weakness into strength and transmutes as by an altruistic alchemy the base metal of eachness into the pure gold of allness this stricken people built and built until today less than a decade after that memorable night there stands by the golden gate a finer and more beautiful city than the one from which it sprang and as if to emphasize to other natures the fullness of san francisco's accomplishment her invincible citizens are now organizing and triumphantly carrying out a great world's exposition one incident of this period of excitement and strain is perhaps worthy of record as evidence of the good fellowship existing between los angeles and the prostrate city on may second the executive committee footnote president m h newmark first vice president j o kepfley second vice president c c reynolds third vice president f w braun treasurer l c scheller secretary charles dwight willard directors h r boynton j baruch p a benjamin a douglas i a lothian and d vebers and footnote of the associated jobbers passed resolutions discouraging any effort to take advantage of san francisco's plight and pledging to help restore her splendid commercial prestige whereupon samuel t clover made this editorial comment in the los angeles evening news we commend the reading of these expressions of kindly goodwill to every pessimist in the country as an evidence that all commercial honor is not wiped out in this grossly materialistic age the resolutions as passed are an honor to the jobbers association in particular and a credit to los angeles in general the evening news desires to felicitate president newmark and his associates on the lofty attitude they have taken in the exigency we are proud of them among the many who at this time turned their faces toward los angeles is hector elliott the versatile curator of the southwest museum born in france and graduating from the university of lombardy dr elliott participated in various important explorations later settling in san francisco losing in the earthquake and fire everything that he possessed elliott came south and took up the quill first with the examiner and then the times footnote one of dr elliott's most recent accomplishments is a comprehensive bibliography of arizona recently published the result of dr j a monk's liberal provision and footnote mr and mrs m kramer on april ninth celebrated their golden wedding less than a year later both were dead mrs kramer passed away on march fifth nineteen o seven and her husband followed her two days later an unusual dispensation in july i was seized with an illness which without doubt must have precluded the possibility of writing these memoirs had it not been for the unselfish attendance amounting to real self-sacrifice of lionel j adams from that time until now in fair weather or foul in good health or ill adams uncomplainingly and indeed cheerfully has bestowed upon me the tender care that contributed to the prolongation of my life and affords me peculiar pleasure to record not only the debt of gratitude that i owe him and the sincere friendship so long marking our relations but also his superior character as a man j m griffith for years a leading transportation agent and lumber merchant died here on october sixteenth griffith avenue is named after him just two weeks later william h perry passed away a man of both influence and affluence but once so poor and tattered that when he arrived in february eighteen fifty four he was unable to seek work until he had first obtained on credit some decent clothes 
Sometime about 1907, Major Ben C. Truman, both a connoisseur of good wines and an epicure, figured in an animated controversy as to the making of mint julep, the battle waging around the question whether a julep's a julep or not a julep, with the mint added before or after a certain stage in the concocting. In an exceedingly informal manner, at the Westlake Avenue residence of my daughter, Mrs. L. Loeb, my wife and I, on the 24th of March, 1908, celebrated our golden wedding anniversary, the occasion being the more unusual because both the nuptials and silver wedding festivity had occurred in Los Angeles. Footnote. On July 15, 1915, Mr. and Mrs. S. Lazard celebrated their golden wedding, Mrs. Lazard being the third daughter of Mr. and Mrs. Joseph Newmark to enjoy the privilege almost unique in a single family, and that will become the more remarkable if Mrs. Eugene Meyer, the fourth daughter, and her husband lived to commemorate, on the 20th of November, 1917, the 50th anniversary of their marriage. End footnote. Our pleasure on that occasion was intensified by the presence of friends with whom, during most of our married life, we had maintained unbroken the most amicable relations. Many years after spur-track switching charges had been abolished throughout other industrial districts of the United States, the Western Railroads continued to assess this charge in Los Angeles, to the extent that, as was estimated, our merchants were paying through this tribute alone an amount not less than $250,000 a year. In August 1908, however, or shortly after F.P. Gregson became identified with the associated jobbers, suit was filed by M. H. Newmark as president before the Interstate Commerce Commission, and on May 7, 1910, a decision was rendered in favor of local shippers. But unfortunately, this decision was reversed on July 20, 1911, by the Commerce Court. Footnote. The Supreme Court of the United States on June 8, 1914, affirmed the decision of the Interstate Commerce Court, and thus was obliterated this very iniquitous charge. End footnote. Joseph P. Loeb and Edward G. Custer, young attorneys, handled the case in a manner recognized among men of their profession as being unusually brilliant, while Gregson brought together a mass of valuable facts. This was probably the most notable of all the cases of its kind in the commercial history of Los Angeles. The other directors at the time the suit was brought were J. O. Kepfley, C. C. Reynolds, F. W. Braun, L. C. Scheller, H. R. Boynton, A. Douglas, D. Webers, W. H. Joyce, W. E. Hampton, and E. H. Greppen. Not the least interesting step forward in providing Los Angeles with a harbor was the acquisition of a strip of land known as the Shoestring, connecting Los Angeles with San Pedro and Wilmington. This practical idea made possible in 1909 the unhampered consolidation of the three places, and before the beginning of April, their various civic bodies had been considering the formation of committees to bring this about. On Saturday, April 3rd, the Los Angeles appointees met at the rooms of the Chamber of Commerce for permanent organization. They were William D. Stevens, Mayor of Los Angeles, Stoddard Jess, Homer Hamlin, City Engineer, F. W. Braun, J. A. Anderson, Attorney for the Harbor Commission and ex-member of the Board of Public Works, Leslie R. Hewitt, City Attorney, Frank Simpson, Joseph Scott, President of the Board of Education, M. H. Newmark, President of the Associated Jobbers, J. M. Schneider, President of the Merchants and Manufacturers Association, A. P. Fleming, Secretary of the Harbor Commission, ex-Mayor M. P. Snyder, H. Jeffney, O. E. Farish, President of the Realty Board, and F. J. Hart. Jess was elected President, Fleming Secretary, and to the admirable manner in which they conducted the campaign, much of the ultimate success of the movement must be attributed.
the delegates from san pedro and wilmington refused to go on until the associated jobbers had pledged themselves to obtain for the harbor districts after consolidation was effected the same freight advantages enjoyed by los angeles this promise was given and fulfilled various other pledges were outlined in the committee's report and adopted by the city council but many of these assurances have not thus far been carried out by the authorities then a vigorous campaign was projected as a result of which both elections that of wilmington and los angeles on august fifth and the other of san pedro and los angeles on august twelfth resulted in handsome majorities for consolidation these substantial victories were fittingly celebrated throughout the consolidated cities and on february tenth nineteen ten the ports became officially known as los angeles harbor in April 1906, 100,000 books of the Los Angeles Public Library, then under the administration of Charles F. Loomis, were moved from the City Hall to the Laughlin Building. With the opening of September 1908, the library was again moved by the same librarian, this time to the Hamburger Building. Footnote. On June 1, 1914, the library, directed by Everett R. Perry, who came to Los Angeles in the fall of 1911 from the staff of the New York Public Library, was removed to the Metropolitan Building at the northwest corner of Broadway and Fifth Street, its shelves a month later holding 227,894 volumes. End footnote. On the evening of October 11, 1909, I attended a banquet tendered to President Taft by the City of Los Angeles at the Shrine Auditorium. Every honor was shown the distinguished guest, and his stay of two or three days was devoted to much sightseeing, to say nothing of the patriotic efforts of many politicians whose laudable desire was to whisper in the presidential ear apropos of government employment. The election of George Alexander as mayor on November 10, 1909, was largely responsible for the later success of the Progressive Party, with whose socialistic policies I am not in sympathy. W. C. Mushet, the more acceptable candidate, ran on a ticket endorsed by businessmen organized under the chairmanship of M. H. Newmark, while George A. Smith was the Republican candidate. Alexander's campaign was managed by Meyer Listner, an arrival of 1896, who had a brief experience as a jeweler before he had turned his attention to law. He possessed much political sagacity, and was therefore quick to turn the Alexander success to the advantage of Hiram Johnson, who was soon elected governor. George N. Black, who came here a child in 1886 and graduated from the Los Angeles High School, later being president of the California State Realty Confederation and grand president of the independent order Benai Brith of this district, directed Smith's campaign. On January 29, 1910, the citizens of Los Angeles, under the leadership of Max Mayberg, tendered to D.A. Hamburger, Chairman, Perry W. Widener, Fred L. Baker, William M. Garland, M. C. Nooner, Dick Ferris, and F. J. Z. Handelar, the committee in charge of the first aviation meet here, a banquet at the Alexandria Hotel. The contest had occurred a few days before at Dominguez Field on a part of the once famous rancho, and to see the aerial antics of the huge man-made birds as they swiftly ascended and descended was no less nerve-wracking, at least to me, than it was interesting. Litigation having established a clear title to the property once held by the 6th District Agricultural Association and the state, the declared owner, having agreed to lease the ground to the county and city for 50 years, decisive steps were taken in January 1910 by the Historical Society of Southern California to provide the museum building now such a source of civic pride. Other bodies, including the Fine Arts League, the Southern California Academy of Science, and a branch of the Cooper Ornithological Society, were invited to cooperate, each being promised a place in the park and museum plans, 
and by the middle of February the supervisors had agreed to vote the necessary building funds. On July 11, 1910, in the presence of a large and representative gathering at Exposition Park, ground was broken for the building, although the cornerstone was not laid until the 10th of December. In the dark hours of the night of April 25, 1910, after an illness of four days and almost entirely free from suffering, she who had shared with me the joys and sorrows of over half a century was called to her reward. She passed from this life as she had passed through it, gently and uncomplainingly. I was left in the midst of a gloom that I thought would be forever black, for six out of our eleven children had preceded their mother, whose spirit on that night was reunited with theirs. I was soon to find, however, how true it is that the Lord tempers the wind to the shorn lamb. Common misfortune and common memories made but stronger the tie, always strong, between my children and myself. Time has performed his kindly offices, he has changed the anguish of grief to the solace of recollection, and in assisting me to realize that I was permitted so long and so happy a companionship, he has turned my heart from its first bitterness to lasting gratitude. End of chapter 42